Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Floss Weekly is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Floss Weekly with Randall Schwartz and Aaron Newcomb. Episode 167 for May 25th, 2011. Racket. This episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes and movies streamed to your PC, Mac, or TV instantly. Plus, get DVDs by mail in about one business day. For your free 30-day trial, go to netflix.com slash twit. It's time for Floss Weekly, the show about free, libre, open-source software. I am your host, Randall Schwartz, Merlin at Stonehenge.com, once again bringing you the show that I love to do because I get to talk to great projects and get to chat with great people about things that are cool and interesting in the open-source community. I'm, uh, if, you look at, if you're watching the video today, you can see that I have nothing but a blank wall behind me. I am once again deep in the heart of Media Temple, my uh, big client down here in L.A. They are providing the hosting space and this giant microphone that you can probably hear me sound much better than last week on, uh, so I'm really happy for them to do that, but uh, my show would be nothing if it didn't have a co-host. Well, it'd be something, but it'd be something different. So let's go ahead and bring this week's co-host on, Aaron Newcomb. Welcome back. Hey, thanks. <laughs> I'm a little bit of something different myself, so glad to, <laughs> glad to be filling out that, uh, that co-host slot again. Yes, and, I, and I, I, I'm sorry. I apologize. I, when I listened to last week's show, I accidentally made you the co-host of the previous two shows, and I want to totally apologize. You took the show over. You hosted it, and I really appreciated that, uh, taking the big microphone, taking the front seat for me while I was uh, both uh, on a cruise ship and somewhere between hotels in the previous week. Uh, thanks a lot for taking on the hosting responsibility. Oh, yeah. No problem. Anytime. It was a lot of fun. Very good, very good. Well, speaking of shows, we have a show because we have a guest. We have a really great guest today. I'm really looking forward to meeting him. Uh, Matthew Flatt, who is, uh, let's see, I've got my notes here, is an associate professor of computer science at the University of Utah. And so I guess we get to call him Dr. Flatt. I guess it would work anyway. I'll probably remember that once or twice in there. So uh, what, what, what he's here to talk about is Racket. Racket is a programming language that, uh, from what I'm reading on the website here, is more about sort of a teaching language, uh, which is really great. It's, and it's based on PLT scheme, or maybe it's a continuation of PLT scheme and scheme is based on lisp so we just keep going back and back here lisp is around for god it must be like 40 years now uh and i remember learning lisp a really long time ago because i'm also pretty good at emacs lisp so uh but it's looking looks really good and i was able to download it immediately and put it in my os 10 box so obviously it just came up right away and i and i started typing in lisp expressions and there they were they were popping up right away i was making little graphics circles and squares on my screen so uh, i'm really anxious to see how far this has gone and whether there's any commercial applications of it and and how well it's being used for teaching, so I'm uh, really looking forward to this guest. Uh, anything you want to say before we uh, before we uh, cut out for the uh, the sponsor for a second? Well, I'm not as familiar with lists, so this will be a learning experience for me. You know, I'm I'm a Perl. Uh, I've dealt with Perl in the past, and 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 you know, wrote many Perl programs, but I've never dealt with Lisp too much. So it's going to be going to be kind of interesting. And I, you know, it is a programming language episode, right? Mm-hmm. So I hope I get a word in edgewise. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it, I, being a programmer is by training, by by, uh, by profession. I'm I'm sure I'll have a, most of the questions on this one, <laughs> but you, you'll get your chance. I'm okay. sure I'll hand it okay. off to you for a couple of times. <laughs> very good, very good. But before we bring Matthew Flat on, I have a very important message from a sponsor. Our sponsor, yay. 
We are, again, this episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by my favorite guys, Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes uh, delivered directly to your home, or, well, watch episodes being delivered live streaming, but it, they do deliver movies directly to your home, and it saves you time, money, and hassle. You can instantly watch thousands of TV and episodes of movies streamed directly to your PC or Mac, just like I was last night in the hotel room. I was watching shows directly on my, on my laptop. You can also have it streamed to your TV via Netflix-ready device, including the Xbox 360, the PS3, the Nintendo Wii, and the Roku box. You can also get DVDs by mail in about one business day. I have to say that for the entire time I've been a member of Netflix, I've never got a single DVD because I'm just so happy with what's streamed online. You can watch as many movies as you want anytime you want. There are never any late fees, never any due dates. So, again, what I was watching last night was really great. As I, I found recently that uh, the whole Twilight Zone, four of the first five seasons are actually online on Netflix. And I also found out yesterday that the uh, Twilight Zone uh, wiki article actually lists like seven or eight of the best episodes because I couldn't remember their names. It's been so long since I've watched them all. I couldn't remember their names. But I found this really great one that I'd watched a long, long time ago. It's called... Um, Where's my notes here? It's called 90 Years Without Slumbering. And it's about a guy who is intimately connected with this clock. And he keeps thinking that as long as the clock keeps ticking, he gets to keep ticking too. And he's sort of crazy that way. I won't give the ending away, but it was a great show. I watched it last night right there in my hotel room just by finding it in the menu and pulling it down. And there's a lot of other stuff on there. There's all sorts of classic TV. There's modern TV in there. There's a bunch of movies. Uh, movies as recently as uh, probably three or four months from, from current release. So I'm really happy for my, my subscription. I can also watch it on my iPhone. So when I'm in a say, a public transportation vehicle. I can just pull it up on my iPhone and watch a part of an episode or something. Really happy that Netflix is a sponsor of this show. So again, you can instantly watch any of those shows that I just talked about or th- choose from thousands of TVs and other, and other movies. But you can register for a free trial membership. You go to netflix.com slash twit and they'll know you, we brought them to you and they'll be really happy for that. Be sure to sign it up for your free trial at netflix.com slash twit. We thank Netflix for their support of Floss Weekly and the This Week in Tech Network. Thanks much. And uh, now uh, on with our show. So let's go ahead and bring on our guest, Matthew Flatt. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And uh, where are we speaking to you from? I am at uh, the University of Utah in Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City. In fact, I was just almost overnight there last weekend because my plane almost didn't make a connection. You had some bad weather there. Was it uh, a Thursday night? or No, Sunday night. Sunday was pretty bad weather, huh? Yeah, yeah. we had some th- storms roll in. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Well, we didn't come to talk about the weather. We came to talk about Racket. I gave, a, uh, I think, a pretty decent description of Racket at the beginning of the show, but uh, it remains to be seen. We'll compare it to your description of Racket. Why don't you give us sort of the 30,000-foot view of what the language and community are all about? Okay. Uh, Racket is a language that comes out of the, the Lisp community, uh, and it's uh, uh, based on Scheme. It was called PLT Scheme for many years. Um, it was originally built uh, not to be a teaching language, but to help us implement teaching languages. So Racket is maybe best known through its development environment, Dr. Racket, uh, which originally we used in classes to teach introductory programming. And to do that, we wanted languages that were like Scheme, but that were more restricted so that we could give better error messages. And so we uh, wanted different language levels that could grow, and we wanted a graphic environment. And that's really where Racket started, as a well, variant of Scheme that we could use to build Dr. Racket. That's, uh, that's fascinating, too. As I was starting to study for, this, uh, for the show today, I was like, oh, my God, there's just a huge language environment here, and a, and a meta-language environment as, as well. Because it's one of the things that uh, I first observed when I was playing with Lisp, God, it must be 25 years ago, was the, the idea that the, the language itself was a uh, was both the, the language and data. So you could modify the language with the language and extend it and add things like macros and things like that, which really excited me, which is why I also got into Emacs Lisp 
back in the early days. And in fact, some of my code is in every copy of Emacs that gets shipped. Uh, I wrote the pretty printer for Emacs Lisp uh, that's in the that's in the current uh, Emacs. So right. I, have a, I have a lot of history with Lisp, and and but it but it's really fallen off my radar other than the the custom programming I've been doing occasionally for my my copy of Emacs uh, when I'm running it. Uh, it's sort of fallen off my radar. Has it always been around, and I just didn't notice it, or is there actually some sort of resurgence here? I think it's always been around, especially the common list community has, has kept going uh, over the, the last many years. And uh, Scheme kind of came and went as a big educational thing in the, I think it was late 80s, early 90s. Um, and Racket uh, was an attempt to restart that. And I, I, we're starting to pick up steam, I think. Uh, you were talking about being able to build languages with the language. And we certainly get that from the Lisp um, our Lisp heritage, and I think that's where we continue to be a distinct language, where we're, we're doing new things. We're pushing that even further uh, in terms of language extensibility and the tools we give you for writing languages or extending languages and, and composing those extensions together. Now, um, just, just for our audience that hasn't seen anything like Lisp or maybe like Scheme, um, how would you describe what a uh, racket program looks like? What, 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 are we, what are we seeing oh. on the screen? Well, of course, you see parentheses. Uh, that's the <laughs> easiest question to answer. Um, you may also see some lambdas, but what you're seeing is lots of functions. It's a functional language. Uh, you tend not to see so many side effects, no assignments to variables or assignments. Uh, the Lisp scheme racket style is functional and often recursive instead of for loops. And one of the things I noticed is that uh, when, uh, again, while I was sort of away from Lisp, uh, the notion of adding object-oriented programming came along. Was that, was that close or something that put, brought that in? And then that was sort of adapted or copied into Scheme, and then Bracket still has that sort of thing, right? Yeah, although it turns out that our object system is a bit more Java-like than Clos-like, and that has more to do with the time that it was developed. Java was coming out at about the same time, and um, it was the way I knew to think about GUIs. I remember that GUIs were one of our early interests. Um, but we can, of course, support both kinds, and there, there is a Clos, a more Clos-like object system there. Hmm, okay, well, I don't know the difference, so I'm glad I asked the question. <laughs> Great. Um, so where, what's the current sort of user base? So I mean, what, what problem am I solving if I'm reaching for Racket, or is that the wrong way to phrase the question? Oh, that's a fine way to phrase the question. Uh, it's a, we view it as a general purpose programming language. I think we have pretty good support for graphics and GUIs. Uh, we have good support for designing domain-specific languages, um, and that's the kind of thing we want to keep pushing on. There's the Racket web server, which was one of the early servers to have continuation-based um, interactions with web browsers. Um, so that's another widely used uh, piece of the infrastructure and uh, in real work. Yeah, and that actually uh, caught my eyes. I was going through the documentation this morning, the idea that you have, uh, uh, because I, I'm familiar with Seaside, which, of course, is a continuation-based web server written in right. Smalltalk, and I was pretty excited to see that uh, this, there's also a similar thing in Racket. Has that been around for a while, and is it mature enough to be stable and usable? Oh, yes. I think it may predate Seaside. I'm not sure, but they've kind of evolved at the same time, um, and it's uh, well-maintained. Jay McCarthy at BYU continues to work on it and improve it. And, and what's the what's the level of maturity of this stuff? Is it is this the kind of thing that uh, I could use commercially and put in production for things, or sure. is this just mostly a teaching language? No, no, no. It's uh, it's production quality. The web server is used at real businesses. Um, untyped, uh, Noel Welsh and, and company um, build, uh, for example, build many other systems on top of it. Wow! Wow! Okay. Now, see, I'm I, now I'm feeling really naive for not having seen this come alongside everything else I've been doing. But maybe I've just been too focused on small talk and Pearl for a while. Um, 
And so this language, I, I saw even the mention that there's a, it's a jitted compiler. I mean, it's, so this is a, using modern techniques then. That's right. Um, there's a bytecode compiler, and then the bytecode is transformed to machine code uh, on demand. Uh, the JIT is pretty pretty uh, simple JIT. Most of the optimization happens at the bytecode level, but it's a modern kind of architecture. Wow, wow. Um, so how is this being used? Let's go back to the teaching environment again for a second. How is this being used in university or even maybe the high school level, um, perhaps? How, how, what, is a, what does an instructor do with this to have people, or are they learning programming or are they just learning general concepts and using the programming to learn those? Well, exactly, general concepts. So uh, when a student is using our tools to learn, they're not necessarily learning Racket. They're learning a simple language. Well, what we're trying to get them is uh, the, the textbook that goes along with it is how to design programs. It's not how to learn Racket. Uh, mm. So we're looking at very general concepts, um, really building on algebra as a way of thinking about computation, uh, which maybe sounds a little crazy, but um, it sort of connects to what students may know um, and build up from that pictures and, and graphics. Um, we build up the notion of data types and how to dis define your data definitions, how to document it, how to uh, use contracts um, on your functions, how to build test suites, um, all of that kind of level that's not really racket specific, but we built Dr. Racket as an environment to streamline the path to cut away so that we don't talk about public static void main because it's not the first thing you need to know. So why would someone, I, I mean, you, you just talked about part of this, but I mean, why would someone choose Racket as opposed to maybe, and I don't want to sound demeaning here, but one of the more popular languages, like why, why, why choose Racket as a educational tool? Um, is it because of the work that you've put into Dr. Racket as a, as a, as a, as a front end? Uh, uh, as an educational tool, I would say it's sort of half Dr. Racket, but well, maybe maybe more so the the pedagogy, the book, uh, Matthias Falas, and uh, being the main author, and and who just won uh, the Sig Plan Teaching Award and the Sig Z Award for this year for his work in developing a pedagogy, developing a curriculum for how to teach programming to beginning students. That's really the reason. Okay, okay, and and what do I need to get started on with if I want to get started on Racket? I see you got some guides here uh, from a from an environment perspective. Uh, let's say I'm running uh, Ubuntu, or or let's broaden it out a little bit and say someone's using Windows. Can they? How, how can they yeah. get started on Racket with those environments? No problem. What do they need? You just go to racketlang.org, and if you're running a version of Linux or Windows or a Mac, you just download and, and install the the usual way. Um, you can when you do that, you get the Dr. Racket and programming environment, uh, which you can use if you want, if you like that kind of thing. I know my students these days tend to like the the graphical environments. If you prefer just working with Emacs or your favorite text editor and command line tools, you get that too, and uh, you can start from there. The the documentation that you find when you go to racketlang.org gives you there's a getting started link which gives you some advice about how you should go. Uh, there's a couple of paths suggested depending on whether you're really new to programming or if you're experienced and you want to dive in more quickly. Um, so those things are there. And finally, there's the mailing list, which is quite active. And uh, if you get stuck or you want more specific advice, then certainly feel free to ask there. Right, right. Now, what if I wanted to compile a, a program? So I want to be able to pass a, a program on to a friend. Is there a way to to compile, like in Windows, it would be a, an EXE file or right. uh, or a binary type uh, program that I could pass on to my friends? 
Yes, uh, in the Dr. Racket environment, there's a menu item that says create executable. And what you get is um, uh, a tar or a zip or a, a Mac image, uh, depending on your platform, that you can just hand off and they open it and they don't have to put it anywhere particular. They can just run it straight out um, and, and works that way. There's command line tools to, to build executable. Similarly, they give you a lot more control over what's put in there and how the pieces are put together. Okay, so as long as I've got the Dr. Racket uh, IDE or, or interface, I can I can compile through that. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, great. Now, one of the things that I noticed, I just pulled up your website, um, which is great. All the links are there. It's very easy to to to, to maneuver. Uh, but but you know, I'm not used to Lisp. I mean, I've I've done some Perl, uh, so I'm used to the way Perl, you know, the 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 bang line, uh, the pound bang type of uh, the way you start off a program with Perl, um, and, and you've got a pound. Lang pound L A N G line at the at the beginning. What 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 does that mean? Why why do I need that? That's a great question. So the one problem with defining racket is it's not just one language in the usual sense. Uh, you can't write down the grammar of racket. Racket is really a runtime system and language framework for building up different languages. So whenever you write a racket program, you have to be more specific. Uh, so hashlang racket is the most commonly used dialect, but you might say hashlang typed racket to say that you want to write in the statically typed dialect of Racket, or Hashlang BSL, a beginner student language because you're a student using it. So the, the Hashlang line gets started, gets the environment started, gets the compiler started saying what kind of Racket, uh, what particular language you wanted to work with. And is that defined somewhere? I mean, how do I fin find out you know, what, what's out there, what I can use? Right. So um, in some sense, there can't be a list of all the, the languages that you can use, but uh, there are a bunch of languages that are included uh, with the distribution, and those are uh, in the guide, would give you some pointers. The, the language racket is itself, that's really just a reference to a module, a module that exports the syntax and the bindings of the language, and that configures the, the front-end parsing of the language, so that anyone can plug in new languages in the same way that they can plug in new libraries. Uh, language is just a kind of library. So there's is there so there's a default uh, 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 set that you get when you download Racket, but I could go ahead and create my own. And then as long as uh, I, I'm just comparing this to other other languages, as I'm trying to get my head wrapped around this. So um, uh, so if I wanted to develop my own, you know, Aaron slash Racket language or dialect, um, I could do that in addition to what comes by default. Correct. That's right. You would just start writing modules. And the guide, again, will have a chapter that gives you a, a little tutorial on how to set up such languages. Okay. Um, a couple other questions I had were around web interface and, and GUI. You mentioned that it works, uh, you, you know, that you can build GUIs with this uh, language. And um, I'm also curious about how it interacts with, for, or can it be used for web-based development and interact with a back-end database and those kinds of things? So the, the GUI library that we have doesn't currently have a, a backend that would be a kind of JavaScript GUI backend. That's something that we can consider doing now that we've, we've just re-implemented the whole GUI layer uh, so that we can plug in new kinds of backends. So most of what you would get for working with a web browser is a kind of server-side support, uh, some support for building HTML forms in a nice composable way uh, called formlets. That's part of the web server package. Uh, not currently so much uh, client-side uh, script. On the other hand, we're also building uh, Racket to JavaScript compilers now so that you can take these programs and, and run them on a web browser. That's Danny Yu at uh, Worcester. 
Um, and we're using that uh, as a way, you know, again, it sort of plays back into education as a, as a useful tool where we can have students write little games, little graphical programs, and then um, get to the point where we can run them on browsers and it makes it even easier for them to distribute their good. Uh, so wait a second, wait a second. I got to back up a little bit. So, so uh, I wish I wanted to make sure I heard this right. So you can use, you can, act, you actually have your own browser. Uh, no, no. Oh, well, explain that one more time to me again, because I okay. must have missed. You, 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 the people are writing plugins that run in a browser using Racket. Is that it? We're we're working on a, a Racket to JavaScript compiler. Ah, uh, okay, so you that's take the part your I Racket missed. program and you, and you get to, to JavaScript. Yeah. Ah, got it. Thank you. So, um, <laughs> I can't continue. The, the, um, the when you were mentioning the the language thing, uh, how far away from Lisp can you get, or is it just adding more things that are defined? That come after an open parenthesis. Uh, that's a good question. No, you're not limited to just using parenthesizing. Um, one example of this is the documentation language. So we write all of our documentation um, itself as a program that generates the documentation. So we can abstract over different kinds of documentation. And parentheses and string escapes would be a real pain for writing large amounts of prose. So what mm -hmm. we have instead is a documentation language, Scribble. And you start out hashling Scribble. And then the inside of that looks more like LaTeX than it looks like Racket. Um, the usual racket, even though it's a kind of racket. Uh, you use an at sign instead of a backslash, but curly braces uh, are used to, to group arguments together. And mostly you just write prose and periods and double, you know, double new lines to, to break up paragraphs. So that's one example of how this hash laying starting point, because it gets to pick the parser, the, the character level parser, um, gives you a hook for changing the syntax in arbitrary ways. Wow. So I, I, I'm not limited to just something that, that looks lispy like. That's really handy. Could it, could it be mutated enough to like parse Perl 6? Because that would be kind of handy to finish that project. <laughs> yeah, I don't know enough about Perl 6. That sounds like a challenge. Um, <laughs> I think the real challenge for us going forward also is making those kinds of language extensions composable. So the, the Scribble extension for writing prose kinds of strings uh, does compose with uh, normal racket code. But in general, that's a harder uh, parsing problem than we've looked at yet. And I, I'm sure that Perl 6 is in that harder category as well. So within the same file, you could have some normal racket code and then the documentation for it, similar to the, the Tangle concept from Don Knuth, right? That's right. And we have a kind of demonstration literate programming language, you know, hashlang scribble slash LP. Um, we have a kind of Java doc-like system where you can include the documentation with your code and contracts. Um, and there's, uh, there's more that we want to do in that direction. So let me talk a little bit more about the uh, VM because I'm particularly interested in this being about the small talk and now the Perl 6 community both building their own sort of really generic VMs at the bottom level. Uh, do you have, you must have at the, at, the, at the very base level in your bytecodes the support for things like continuations and, and uh, debugging, looking at the stack frames and stuff like that. Uh, is, is it pretty complete? Yeah, I would, I'd say so. It's, it's fairly, fairly oriented towards racket kind of things like continuations and procedures are designed to, to go fast. Um, I was not really a runtime and compiler implementer when we started this. I kind of backed into that job. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think it's evolving into something modern and reasonable. Um, but it's, it's certainly complete. Uh, we run all sorts of applications on it and various kinds of languages on top of it. It'd be interesting then to target Perl 6, which is already having using Parrot as the back end, then uh, target uh, the, the Racket uh, VM bytecodes as well. It might be a great way to just get some interoperability. Well, we'd love, love for someone to work on that. <laughs> no, not me. No, no, no more things I got on my plate at the moment. Um, so 
at that level, then uh, you've. Uh, well, I should probably ask the obvious question. Then, what is all this written in? I presume a lot of it's written in, in Racket itself, uh, down to a certain level. But what's the what's the VM written in? And yeah. below that, down below that level, it's in C. Uh, a lot of the runtime, even the JIT and the bytecode compiler, is in C, which are it's not really advisable. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we're we're currently moving pieces of that up into Racket. The, the shift in the GUI library was our was our biggest step so far, where we replaced 200,000 lines of C++ code with, with um, I forget, around 30,000 lines of Racket code. So talk more about so, that. So you, so you had a bunch of stuff that was already in C doing all your graphics display, and it had to be fairly portable, I guess, if we're using this on both Linux and Windows and Macs. And you rewrote that in, in, in directly in Racket? Yeah to, under, yeah, to understand this, you have to think back to the mid-90s, which is really the... Uh, the Stone Ages for writing portable graphics. Uh, at that point, we had WX Windows. It's been renamed WX Widgets, which is what we started with. Um, but to make it uh, interact well with Racket or PLT Scheme at the time, we ended up changing a bunch of uh, the memory management stuff and kind of forked off. And that left us with this big pile of uh, C++ code to connect to different GUI backends and, and give us a nice GUI layer. And it got old. Uh, the uh, the graphics layer was increasingly out of date. Fonts were more and more of a problem. The the X layer was based on XT. Um, so we threw all of that out and, and rewrote it in Racket using the FFI to connect to modern GUI toolboxes, GTK and Coco, for example. And uh, we think this is a much better platform for going forward, and and hopefully a, a better platform for plugging in different backends, like we were saying. Yeah, I noticed that I, I was first uh, pre- presuming that when I fired this up on my Mac that you'd be firing up X11 as the che- cheating way out. <laughs> and I, I pride myself on how long for weeks usually I can go without firing up X11 on my Mac. And But no, it came up directly in Cocoa. So you're talking directly to the uh, standard uh, OS X uh, GUI layer. Yeah, I mean, we made a early on in, in the Racket project, there was a commitment to make the GUIs look like they were supposed to on different platforms to be attractive to students and so on. So that's always been a goal, and that's why we had to really catch up to the modern world. What's the, uh, well, actually, I probably should first ask, what's what's your role in all this? I haven't I really introduced you <laughs> as, as why, why we're talking to you and not just a random guy. So where are you with this? Well, I'm one of the main implementers, especially the bottom half. So as we've said, I, I work on the compiler and the runtime system, and and a bunch of libraries, and uh, we have lots of help. Uh, I've been doing this myself about 16 years, so uh, <laughs> so that's how mature it is. <laughs> we've gotten yep. we've gotten some ways. Uh, we have organized this. Uh, you know, I'm a professor. I was a grad student when I started. Uh, my co-work, uh, co-workers on Racket, especially Robbie Findler, uh, at at Northwestern, and Matthias Feliasen, who was my um, PhD advisor. Um, we've just kept working on this, and we uh, it's built on the backs of graduate students and faculty members who prepare to hack um, and write papers as they have to. And what license is it under? Uh, it's the lesser GPL. So you can you can do what you want with it as long as you uh, as long as you admit that it came from us. If you, if you release it, I think that <laughs> well, uh, I'm not, not a lawyer. If you, distribute, if, you just, if you have modify the code, you have to distribute the source to that. But that's still that's actually a very yes, generous it, license. It's about as close as you can get to the BSD license. The only difference being that uh, modified copies of Racket would have to be sent back as open source. That's uh, that's admirable then because that means actually uh, you know because I'm always thinking not just the the open source aspects of this, but the commercial aspects, commercialization of it, and being able to take Racket and develop an app, a large app in it, and then distribute it as a binary would be really cool. So um, nice, nice. I uh, appreciate Absolutely. that. Absolutely. We want to see more of that. 
And, and what's the, uh, do you know of any apps that are, that I might've stumbled across that have this buried in it somewhere? You know, I think there are more uses than people actually tell us. Uh, the one, the places you can see it most easily, if you go to uh, Y Combinator website, that's running on Arc, which is running on Racket. Um, there was, um, forgot, trying to remember what it was called. There was, um, there was an early iPhone app that had to do with where, you know, leaving comments that are connected to where you, you were staying, the website of that. Um, I don't know so many uh, standalone apps that are using it visibly, um, mostly Dr. Racket and the, and the ones that we produce so far. Uh, iPhone app. Okay, now you've got my ears again. Uh, what uh, can so this can interface with uh, like the framework, the iPhone framework. In, in in that particular case, it was just the server side of the iPhone app. Um, but if like everyone, that's one direction that we're going. Uh, the new port to Coco will, should let us uh, move better into that space. Yeah, especially if you get uh, something that would be cross-platform to iPhone and Android, that would be really big in the community. Because you know, now, you know, mobile is everything now. There's, there's more, there's more mobile copies of of um, SQLite running around than there is on on machines now. So this is pretty cool. Yeah, and we would love to have more people uh, working on that with us. There's only so much that I and and the people who are currently working on it can do. So, uh, people who are interested in that, uh, we'd be love to have you working on it and contribute back to this open source project and and uh, you know give you all the support we can in terms of information and advice um, and welcome advice coming back. And what uh, what age level, I mean, I, I know this is mostly just a university, but what, at what age level would it make sense to expose somebody to something like Racket? Well, going back to the teaching side, the, the how to design textbook and is really designed for high schools and, um, and college, uh, and more so college, I think we found. Um, mm -hmm. But meanwhile, there's a, the Bootstrap pro project, which is uh, connected to us. They are taking uh, racket and building games to middle schoolers, um, especially middle schoolers and uh, in inner city kinds of environments where they need a, a boost on, on algebra and what is this uh, useful for. Um, and I think they're finding great success with that. And I know that uh, small talk, especially Squeak, it's uh, slapped all the time for being like its own world and it doesn't talk to anything else. But in fact, Squeak and, and all the other modern small talks have all the full networking stacks and, and file I.O. And, and, and can do FFI calls, things like that. I, I presume that uh, Racket's in a similar space where it, it sort of looks like it wants to belong to itself, but really it has all these same sort of interface layers that any other modern language does. Is that, that accurate? That's true. Uh, you're right that it wants to belong to itself, and, uh, and we, we've built up a language that's in many ways like an OS, uh, facilities for having different kinds of processes inside and control over those processes and multiple GUI contexts inside of one application. But at the same time, we connect to all the usual GUI libraries and have all of these sort of networking and file system support. So um, you can be in the, in the world if you want to, and we like to be in that world a lot, but you can also talk to the rest of the world. And can I, uh, the next obvious question for me here is, can I write what looks like a shell script? Can I just drop something into my bin directory that's written in Racket and have it be compiled every time it loads? Sure. You can start off with uh, hash bang Racket and then maybe hash lang Racket after that and, and go and that should work fine. Wow. Okay. I definitely have to play with this now. This is already sounding fun. Darn you for coming up with another cool thing out there <laughs> for me to actually have to divert some of my time for instead of working on real work today. Um, so uh, in terms of interfacing then, so you've got uh, the full ability to put up uh, uh, like IO sockets in, in, in at least the TCP realm and, 
and uh, handle multiple connections and uh, that, can, that sort of stuff. Can you, can you UDP as well? Yes, there's a UDP support built in. And for any of these libraries that may not be there, I think anything you're likely to come up with right away is probably there. But we have a rich FFI, um, rich enough to build the GUI layer on top of, for example. Uh, so you can easily uh, load in and link to other C libraries without having to go to a C compiler. It's a, it's a completely dynamic FFI. Uh, that was one of Eli Barzilai's great contributions, sir. And, and one of the things I noticed right away when I downloaded it, first off, that uh, again, it was a native Mac app instead of being X11, but also that I immediately came up in, in, in a, a, you know, a, 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 a command prompt so I could start typing things right away. And I was reading through the documentation on the website, and I said, well, type this, and I type that, and there's a square on my screen in like two, more, two lines of code. So it was like, wow, okay, so this is already fun to play with because I don't have to like, you know, dig up a compiler and find an editor and all that sort of stuff. Um, has that helped with the adoption of the language to have that kind of uh, immediate uh, redevelop print loop? I think in many ways, it's uh, many people like it, and other people feel like when they see Dr. Racket as the main entry point, that maybe uh, that's not what they wanted. They wanted their command line and their compiler to, to write. Um, so certainly, we have we have thought that. It's important to give the streamline, give the Lisp redevelop print loop right away, give it in a nice environment, make it look right if you're on the Mac. Um, and, and so I think it's certainly within the scheme world, it was a big part of our success early on. Yeah, well, I can, I can definitely uh, uh, vouch for that because my 11-year-old is just learning um, HTML. <clears throat> and he's really into it. He's been doing it for on and off for about a year. And uh, uh, he's recently jumped back into it. And he, and he came to me and said, Dad, Dad, you got to come here. You got you to look at this. And what he found was one of the many websites that will let you actually um, – uh, test the code out and, and basically hit run, uh, so to speak, in the browser, and it and it and it pulls up a new tab uh, with whatever you just did, you know, showing, and then you can go back and edit it and go jump back and forth. Uh, so I can vouch for that model in terms of my own uh, uh, experiences with my son is that that model actually works really really well, and I think it's really important in education to give that immediate feedback. Like here's something you typed, and yes, it worked, or yet or no, it didn't. Um, and uh, or or it worked in a way that I didn't think it would, and so I can certainly vouch for that model. It definitely uh, it definitely works with, with with children. Yeah, I think it's a, a really a real help when I use it to teach introductory courses here. And um, last in this spring semester, uh, I had to do the other half, which is the students were to a point I wanted them to learn to use the command line and traditional Unix tools. And, uh, and well, I found out that's not so easy to get across right away as I thought it might be. Right. So, yeah, definitely. Now I was, I tuned out for a minute. There's a question, um, on, uh, IRC that I wanted to get to, and, and maybe you guys were talking about this when I was reading, but what about embedded systems? Does it work, uh, with embedded systems? I think it's a bit large to be most embedded systems, uh, to fit on most. Uh, it depends on what you mean. Um, so embedded, the, the baseline right now when you start up Racket in, in a kind of minimal system is a couple of megabytes, maybe four. So that's kind of big for most uh, embedded applications, I think. Um, then again, you know, I've heard of embedded systems that have a much larger view. Uh, once upon a time, we had uh, a version of Racket that booted up on bare metal x86. And we've been kicking around the possibility of bringing that back, especially in the context of a DARPA program where we can stick it on a router and demonstrate that we can have a more secure router because we write the web server and the, the DNS part in Racket. So uh, maybe that's a yes and no. 
So um, I, there was another comment online. Um, I was just going to ask you how well the the software scales. Uh, there was another comment in the IRC of someone that had written, um, uh, well, they used PLT scheme, and we should mention PLT scheme is the predecessor or the or the previous name of Racket, correct? That's what it was called before. That's right. We just renamed it a year ago. Right. So they used PLT scheme to to write a web based personnel scheduling system. And uh, their particular program had 70,000 lines of code um, and, and gets very heavy, heavy, heavy use. So I'm assuming the answer is it scales pretty well. Yes. And if you start looking at the source of Dr. Racket, it's a pretty hefty program in itself. So that's one way we keep we make sure that everything works well by uh, building on top of it ourselves and unleashing our software on freshmen, which are always not very not always very kind to the software. So <laughs> you, know, you have to keep it all in good shape. Yeah. They like to test the limits, don't they? Um, now, I wanted to ask you, too, I, you mentioned uh, PhD advisor, so I'm, I'm assuming that we should be referring, referring to you as Dr. Flat. Is that correct? you have your PhD? <laughs> no, I think only the, uh, the Rice alumni people refer to me as Dr. Flat. Uh, <laughs> so Matthew is great. Okay, well, that's fine. But you do have, I just wanted to get, point out the fact that you do have some, some credibility here, right? What, 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 are you currently, what are you currently doing? So uh, I am a professor, and uh, as are the, the main people, you know, Robbie and, Ma- and Matthias and Sriram Krishnamurthy, who work on this. And we use Racket as a platform for research. Um, it, it lets us do a particular flavor of research that not everyone can do because we have this system that is real, that we extend. Um, you know, it's letting us do research on language extensibility in a way that that we couldn't otherwise do without this infrastructure. So building production quality software is at best a footnote in my real job description as a, as a professor. Um, but it, we, we tie it well, I think, to our research agenda. Right. And the other thing I was reading in your, in your bio, um, you actually wrote a book, right, on, on, uh, on how to teach programming or how to, how to develop, right? I am one of the co-authors of that book uh, with Matthias, who's the main author, and, and Robbie Fendler and, and Sriram Krishnamurthy. And, and where can people find out more information about the book? You can go to htdp.org. That is the book online. Um, you can buy it on Amazon or in your favorite bookstore um, in paper form, or you can just go read it online. Um, HTDP stands for How to Design Programs. Right, the name of the book. I should have said that right up front. How to Design Programs is the name of the book. So uh, I wanted to get that. And also, one other thing I thought that was really interesting to me personally was that you spent some time in China at uh, um, Chinese Academy of Sciences, right? That's right. Uh, one of the great perks of a university job is uh, you get a sabbatical every few years. And I spent mine in China, um, partly, perhaps mainly because my wife is Chinese and we went there to, to take the family and spend a year in China. But I had a great time and uh, there's some great people at the Chinese Academy of Sciences at the Software Institute where I was. Uh, okay. So I probably don't have to say, I probably don't have to ask you, uh, how, <laughs> Uh, all right. So that's enough of that. Uh, anyway, um, so uh, w- one more question I wanted to get to before I let you off the hook and let Randall f- finish up uh, any questions that he might have is uh, debugging. One of the one, we talked a little bit about the um, development environment, which lets you debug visually, right? Because either the either what you wrote runs right away or it doesn't. Uh, but but how difficult is it to debug going past that? Um, how hard is it to debug? Is there a debugger um, that you would use to 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 try to debug your programs? 
In Dr. Racket, there is a debug button that gives you a kind of traditional step through the program uh, debugging mode. Um, this is an area where the tool could use even more work. We're grateful to have this, and, and Greg Cooper was the person who really got this going. Um, uh, you know, I'm kind of old school, and I do a lot of printf-based debugging because it works fine for me. Um, but I think for the most part, we have the kinds of tools people expect. Uh, though if someone's interested in helping make tools better, you know, one more plug, that's a great place to, to pitch in. And so single stepping being the uh, the key for debugging, and I presume at that point you could also type in um, uh, S expressions and have those evaluated while you're in the middle of looking at the single stepping, right? We have not quite made it back to the, the great old uh, Lisp machine world where uh -huh. we have that kind of interaction. Um, it's partly because we focused more on standalone things that you can send out, um, partly that we focused more on security in the sense of knowing that other libraries can't break into your library and break your invariants. Um, so getting there, but not there yet. Oh, I knew there had to be a catch. I knew this sounded too good to be true already. I knew it. I knew it. You can't debug very well. Of course, real programmers don't use the debugger. They just add print till it works. So uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> maybe this is all we're supposed to be doing in, in Racket as well. It's just going to teach us uh, better programming skills. Uh, actually, you brought up a really interesting point there. With with contract programming, you could essentially the whole idea of running things sandbox that don't destroy anything else seems to be a possibility. Could you build something like a sandbox to like a JavaScript execution engine that's separate? from the rest of the browser and, and uh, in Racket? Uh, well, if you want a sandbox within a Racket program, that's the Racket slash sandbox library, where oh. you get to control what facets of the, the sub-program you, you want to sandbox. And that's running all on the same virtual machine, and it can even do memory accounting, even though you can share, share uh, values freely between different sandboxes and the main processes. So, uh, yes, that kind of thing is there. Taking that and dropping it into a browser... It's a matter of making a browser plugin. Uh, seems seems possible, but we haven't tried that. So I could safely then, with this sandboxing scheme, I could uh, scheme being used both ways. There, I could um, I could make, for example, a website where I have a, a window where it takes arbitrary racket code with whatever extensions I want to give it and run it and display the result safely on my web server. I mean. Oh, yes, yes. In fact, we've done this a number of times. I'm not sure if any of them have actually survived at the moment. Um, but, yeah, the traditional demo of you send us an expression, we'll evaluate it, and we believe that you can't trash our server. Uh, you know, uh, I think on the, on the scheme IRC, maybe there's a bot that uh, runs racket expressions for you. Very cool, very cool. And um, uh, somebody in the chat room asked, uh, is, there a, is there an Emacs uh, extension yet for racket so I can use racket rather than Emacs Lisp? Um, there is one called Quack. I believe there's Geyser support. Um, so Emacs has several kind of generic Lisp and Scheme uh, environments, and I think many of them plug in, although I'm not up on all the details there. I don't think we've actually asked this flat out yet, so let's just go ahead and ask it. Why did you rename from PLT Scheme to Racket? Well, uh, since we use what was PLT Scheme, now Racket, as a research project, and as we built so much software on it and we keep changing the language, um, eventually it became hard to talk about PLT Scheme versus Scheme because it, it diverged in so many practical ways. Uh, we would find ourselves saying Scheme, no, I mean PLT Scheme all the time. And mm. so the rename just helps clarify, you know, 
that there's a level of this language while you can still run R5, RS, those are scheme standards, or R6, RS scheme standard programs uh, inside of our infrastructure that we're really interested in pushing forward on the language design and sometimes changing it in a way that makes it not scheme but makes it racket. And what's the most unusual sort of language extension? I mean, I, I like the idea of the documentation extension. That was pretty cool. But what, what else have you seen that, that you would consider unusual? Uh, unusual. Um, so the there's there's unusual there's unusual in things that are not schemely or not traditional schemes. So, for example, we threw out mutable pairs. There's no set car and set cutter because it interferes with all sorts of uh, reasoning about your program. Mm -hmm. um, things that we throw in that others might not immediately is delimited continuations, for example, mm -hmm. because that kind of thing helps with web servers. Um, we have continuation marks which is uh, a way of reflecting on the dynamic extent of your, your program and, and being able to implement things like exception handlers. Um, and um, we've experimented with contract systems, taking advantage of our ability to build new languages on top, um, that uh, a lot of our research, especially Robbie Findler's research, has been on improving contract systems. Mm -hmm. So that, th those are some examples. And you mentioned a couple things that I'm, I'm more curious about. So given that you're more of a functional language rather than a mutation language, uh, how does, well does this scale for parallel threads and for uh, mobile processors? Ah, uh, well, there you go. We're, we're working on that like everyone is. Uh, so we have a couple of ways of doing parallelism at the moment. Neither of them are threads a la Java. So if you make threads, it's for concurrency, uh, not necessarily parallelism is in the sense of performance but uh, we have futures that are available and continue to improve uh, futures as a way of saying start working on this and I'll ask for the value later um, and uh, that's James Sween at, at Northwestern uh, along with Robbie and then we also have places this is going to be in our next release which is a kind of start a new instance where there's no sharing but just message passing so that mm -hmm. we can get good parallelism um, uh, through message passing and, and, and not worrying about the sharing. But kind of uh, the next step will be building better parallel languages, better parallel constructs on top of futures and places. So does that mean you don't yet have the ability to take advantage of multiple processors or just doing green threads instead? Um, we, we have some limited abil ability to do that. Um, but uh, with futures being there, you can do... Uh, very standard things like Mandelbro in, in parallel. Uh, and with places, we use that to do parallel builds, for example, uh, and taking advantage of multiple processors. So um, the current release, it's not great, but this is one of the things you can expect to see improve. And how is, how is the development coordinated? I know you're obviously working on a lot of it, but how, who, how, are, the, uh, how are the commits organized and who decides the language direction? We have a Git repo that everyone pushes into. Um, and we each have kind of just as the way that we join the project uh, or how the project evolved, we have our own areas that we work on and there are some parts that multiple people work on. Uh, we coordinate through the mailing list and uh, I think that's all the usual kinds of things. Is there someone that's considered like the chief architect and says, yes, this is definitely going in or not, or is it just mostly consensus? A little of both, I suppose. I play the role of uh, chief architect sometimes, but there's there's often it's more often consensus among the the main people who have been working on it for a while. And has there been a lot of contribution from people that aren't grad students? Or, <laughs> I mean, is it all is it all is this all mostly university, or has there a bit also been some commercial give and take? 
No, there's commercial give and take. So uh, I'll call out people like uh, uh, Neil Van Dyke, who's contributed languages and uh, libraries, and Noel Welsh, uh, and, and his guys have contributed a bunch. There is um, an online repository called Planet. Uh, there's PLT embedded in that name is where it comes mm -hmm. from, where anyone can upload their libraries and other people just use a Planet-based module path, and it'll pull those in, uh, then on. So something like CPAN. Um, mm -hmm. Where you can, where other people can and do uh, contribute code to uh, the to uh, Racket everywhere. Oh, cool! Very cool, very nice. And also, um, so then, how how I'm trying to think how you say this. How fast is this moving forward? Is it is it constantly evolving, or is it or do you see like major release every few years, nothing in between, or, or you know how how is it moving forward? We release every three months. Uh, mm. Whether we need to or not, you know, just a standard way of doing things. And I would say major features have historically happened every two or three years. Uh, the GUI rewrite, rewrite might be an example. Mm -hmm. um, and we certainly have in mind the kinds of things that we want to do over the next year or two, and the rest just involves. Uh, I want to get a plug-in also for people who are interested in participating, interested in what's going on. We're, we're having a conference, RacketCon, in Boston uh, towards the end of July. So you can find information on that. Uh, show up for free. Uh, there's breakfast and lunch provided. And is this the first of your conferences, or have you done this before? This is the first RacketCon. We've had some meetings, but this is the first open. We want everyone to come and, and present their work and tell us more what's going on while we have a conversation about what should happen next. Well, now that means you're real because you have a conference. Uh, that's pretty good. All <laughs> that's you need right. now is you've got a website, you've got a conference, uh, you've got a book. Let's see, what else do you need to be real? I guess that's pretty good. Uh, somebody else said in the chat room that Hacker News, the website, is done in Arc, I think, which is in Racket. Right. Arc is implemented currently on top of Racket. So that web, that uh, that website is running on top of Racket. That's uh, that's uh, that's actually pretty amazing because I know a lot of my friends check that regularly and I don't actually check there. I should I should, but I don't. But I get I get clips occasionally sent to me from there. Um, but that's so that that says a lot about the scalability and everything because I know that's like it's a lot of hits every day. Yeah. Wow. Very very yeah, cool. I mean, and uh, what, what uh, I I know we've covered a lot of things. Uh, is there anything that I've left out that you really wanted to talk about in terms of racket? Uh, it's it's let me, first. Let me just summarize. What I know so far, this is great. This is exciting. I want to go play with this now. Now, so you've you've done a good job inspiring me once again. As often on all these shows, I keep wanting to go do whatever I'm talking about. But uh, I I can see some really interesting uh, possibilities for using Racket for some of the applications that I've been working on. So I'm pretty excited. Oh, I want I don't want to ask uh, portability. I know that uh, it obviously works on OS 10 because I downloaded that. You said it works on Windows, and there's also a Linux version that talks directly to X11. Are there any other architectures that it's been ported to, and and how easy would it be to uh, to move it to something new, like like you said, the iPhone or something like that. It's fairly easy to port it to Unix-like um, systems, and in the old days, there were lots of variants of Unix that we had to mm -hmm. worry about. These days, almost everyone's using Linux, so it's gotten somewhat easier. Um, so I think uh, portability is is basically what you would expect. Um, in terms of uh, let's see, I forgot how we got here. But I think I'm answering your earlier question, where, I, where I, when I say that what I really want to get across is that things are really happening in Racket, but what we really need to move forward is more people uh, to be involved, uh, not just making libraries, but what we really need is more books and more websites uh, that explain what's going on, uh, Racket the movie, Racket the Broadway musical, uh, mm -hmm. those kinds of things. So that's what we really want to uh, inspire people to take things to the next level in Racket. Well, do you have a podcast yet? Because that might be a good stuff to go next. That would be great. Uh, so many hours in the day, you know. 
Don't I know it? <laughs> There's no way I could do a rack of podcasts because I just don't have enough time <laughs> left in my schedule. Um, I'm also curious about um, the, um, the something that I've now forgotten. Oh, 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 the most important question, uh, Emacs or VI? I don't know the answer to this one. For me, Emacs. Ah, uh, I've recently it. just barely learned to use VI. But. <laughs> <laughs> forced, forced. Um, and... I'm just this. This is this is just great, though. I, I really like the the fact that there's some you know there's a, there's a really powerful, interesting language. Oh, oh, I remember what the question was now. The the jitter does it uh, is it only x86 or and does it turn off uh, another architecture? It's x86, x86, 64, and uh, PowerPC. I imagine making an ARM and maybe a MIPS backend. Um, it's built on GNU Lightning, so that's how we got started. Mm-hmm. And does it, but for architectures you don't support, would it turn off and still just keep direct interpreter? That's right. It just runs uh, with the interpreter um, as we did for the first 10 or so years of the project. So uh, Very cool. that's, Very that's cool. one of the things that makes it reasonably portable. Aaron, any last questions for our guests before we let them go? Uh, no, I think I'm good. Okay, very good, very good. Well, you, Matt, it's been really nice chatting with you. And it, as I said moments ago, you've inspired me. I want to go play with this now. Unfortunately, I've got a client to deal with all day, so I'll be doing that instead. But um, but this is this is great. I and oh oh I know one last question. One last question. It's my show. I can do that. Um, the <laughs> teaching materials that are available. Could I, as someone trying to teach programming in 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 high school, take the existing materials, or would I have a pretty steep uphill climb to adapt this to my curriculum? No, in fact, for uh, for many years, the first ten or f- at least ten years, we ran workshops for high school teachers. Um, so it has been used in quite a few high schools, and the material is available from other teachers um, uh, from the website. You can you can probably get some more pointers if you don't find what you're looking for. Again, send us email; that'd be great. And I'm really excited about any any environment like like you have here with uh, Racket, where we're getting the opportunity to teach people something other than C plus plus and Java. Uh, it just it it scares me now that that's sort of people's introduction to programming now is having to face a forty five line Java interface document uh, as their very first language they learn. I think Galad Brocker was on your show recently and and gave his line uh, learning as brain damage. Uh, yeah, that's one of our motivations is to to early on get people to see multiple ways of doing things. Very good, very good. Okay, I think that was my last question, finally. If not, I can always go to the IRC channel that you have, uh, Pound Racket on uh, Freenode, and I was just there actually a few minutes before the show. Uh, But been very good, very, very interesting, uh, very fun chatting with you. Uh, And uh, so I just want to say thanks a lot, uh, Mr. Matthew Flatt, for coming on the show today. Thank you. I had a great time, and I appreciate you letting me be on the show. Very good, very good. That was Matthew Flatt. He's an associate professor at the University of Utah uh, in the very rainy and stormy Salt Lake City. Uh, What do you think, Aaron? Well, that sounds pretty interesting. I mean, um, you know, I, it, it certainly opened my eyes. I wasn't sure what to expect uh, with uh, talking about programming languages because you never know, um, you know, what you're going to get into. But I mean, it really does sound really interesting in terms of, uh, especially in terms of its um, uh, the ability to to to, to modify and, and take it take the language in new directions if you want to. Uh, you, you know, you don't have to be satisfied with with the way things are. You can write your own uh, dialect, even um, of the language, uh, to suit your needs. I think that's pretty cool. It's one of the things I really like about Lisp is that it, 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 it's such a, it's such a fundamental level. You know, since it can parse itself, it's its own data structure. It really opens itself up to a lot of you know, well, dangerous things like self-modifying code, but but good <laughs> things like being able to build DSLs. Uh, I know that Smalltalk is similar in that way. There's, there's just, it's such a small language that it's really easy to layer on top of. 
And we're seeing some of this even with like uh, languages that are powerful and have a lot of introspection, like Ruby and, and Perl, where uh, DSLs tend to sort of fall out of that. And it's nice to see a language that it seems that that's sort of you know hammered in is is the basis of this. We want to be able to build a language that's really a meta language that is useful in itself, but also is useful to be much more domain specific to get uh, you know shorter code opt code optimized for a particular application. You know, it's it's so often that uh, we get stuck with something like Java, um, where it's sort of de-optimized for everything. It's sort of generically useful, but it's not really specifically useful. And so we end up building lots of libraries instead and, and sort of have to do it the hard way. But it's really nice now that we have this this, uh, this kind of a system. So I'm, I'm glad to see this come along. Uh, anything else, Aaron, before I finish off the show? No, no, I th uh, it was a good conversation. I'm glad to see someone, um, you know, that is uh, <clears throat> has educated himself in this field working on a project like this and then also of course teaching it uh mm -hmm. you know i think that's great he's kind of immersed in his uh you know what he wants to do which which is again something i think is really cool not necessarily specific to, to racket but anytime someone can take what they what they like to do and turn it into a profession i think that's wonderful very good very good so speaking of upcoming guests although i wasn't until just now it <laughs> looks like next week we have uh aaron byland of clear os clear os uh um if I recall from last week, I believe that's some sort of firewalling language or firewalling systems of some kind. Uh, we've got uh, Kosuki Kawaguchi, who is the current project lead for Jenkins, formerly called Hudson, which is the uh, continuous build and, and deployment system. We'll have Simon Phipps back for that show. It'll be fun. Curtis Jewell is going to talk to us uh, about Strawberry Pearl, which is the version of Pearl compiled for Windows that uh, has all the same uh, CPAN installation stuff that uh, you get from normal Pearl on, on normal Pearl. Well, the Pearl I use, which is on Unix. Uh, we've also got a bunch of other people on the short list. Uh, Twit.tv slash Floss. You'll find a link there to our upcoming spreadsheet, spreadsheet of upcoming guests anyway. Uh, if And we have a bunch of people on the short list. I'm going to be start uh, scheduling Q3 coming up pretty quick here. Uh, so that will be right around the corner. And if you see, have a project that is not on that list, you can email me, Merlin at Stonehenge.com. Have the project leader email me. That's the fastest way to get them on the short list. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, I'm M-E-R-L-Y-N on Twitter, just like my email address. Uh, if you have been following me, you'll find out that um, I just got back from Boston, had a great time there. Uh, picked up a cold on the way, so my voice is gravelly right now. It's a little bit because of that. Uh, I'm going to be in the L.A. area for the next five weeks, including going to the Los Angeles Pearlmongers meeting tonight. So if you're around in the L.A. area and want to hang out with me, that's fine. Uh, just follow me on Twitter. You get that. Uh, and uh, I'll, as I said last week, I got invited to be a speaker at the uh, 12th annual uh, FISLE, which is the hey. free, free software conference in uh, uh, Porto Alegre, Brazil. And I love going there because uh, I love little Kuiperinias. That's always kind of handy, too. But uh, mostly I love it because of the enthusiasm there for open source software. They have 5,000 attendees at this conference. It's huge. And the topic I've decided to choose was uh, lessons learned from Flossing Weekly. So I'm actually going to be abstracting what we do here on this show in terms of both the lessons I've learned directly from having guests on, but also sort of the meta lessons, like how do I actually do the work behind the scenes? How do I schedule people? How do I get great people like Aaron here to uh, come in and co-host and host the show for me? So uh, I'm going to try to get that thing videotaped and inserted videotape. Boy, now I'm dating myself. Let's see, how long have I been using Lisp and how long have I been talking about videotape? Right, so I'm going to try to get the thing uh, video so that I can uh, put it actually maybe perhaps even in this uh, in this, this feed. That would be really handy. Uh, also, uh, uh, oh, that's the end of my plugs. Uh, Aaron, where can we find you and what are you doing these days? Well, I'm glad you're going to be down at Fizzlet. It is a great conference. I'm glad you're mm -hmm. following in my footsteps because I actually did a talk down there a couple years ago about how I do my podcast. So... Mm. 
Uh, this is a good follow-on to, to what I had down there. And there's about 120 people in the in the room uh, uh, listening. So I hope you get a good attendance. It's a great, great, fun show. Lots of young people out there enthusiastic about open source software. And uh, not only young people, but also uh, corporations. Uh, a large number of big corporations in Brazil, you'll, you'll notice, will be uh, displaying on the show floor uh, down there. they, they uh, A lot of them use open source software and it's really great to have their support. Uh, so where can you find me? So go to uh, thesourceshow.org and where you will find my, uh, very shortly, an, uh, an episode on my experiences at Maker Faire. So uh, that episode should be out in the next few days. So be sure to go to that website and uh, check out that episode when it comes out. Um, you can also find me on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Aaron Newcomb. Just add that to any of your favorite social media websites or go to AaronNewcomb.com and you can follow me there as well. Very good. Very good, Aaron. Once again, thank you for uh, co-hosting the show with me this week. And I'm looking forward to future opportunities to do that and maybe even let you grab the, the head mic for a little while, a couple of shows, maybe down the stream when I'm unavailable again. Absolutely. Uh, Anytime. Thanks a, thanks a lot for doing that. And uh, hear the music coming up. So I guess it must be time for us to say we'll see you all again next time on Floss Weekly.